0: This is episode 303 of That Shakespeare Life. You can get special behind-the-scenes extras of the making of our show, along with insider Shakespeare history, available right now on Patreon. Sign up today at patreon.com slash Life, and stay tuned after the episode for even more details.
1: Hi, I'm Mary Lindemann, Professor Emerita of History at the University of Miami, Another great method for studying the life of William Shakespeare includes listening to this. It's that Shakespeare life with my friend Cassidy Cash.
2: So they were these sort of roving bands of young men who were going out and drinking and smoking. And frequenting gambling houses going to theaters sitting on the stage in the dandy seats going to bear beatings and so mall is being portrayed as sort of like that type but as a woman
1: And now,
0: here's Cassidy. One of the most famous criminals of Shakespeare's lifetime was Mary Frith. She was known as Moll Cutpurse, and her character is featured in several plays contemporary to Shakespeare. It seems her real-life persona was even more flamboyant than those represented on stage. Maul Cutpurse was a notorious pitpocket who made a name for herself in early modern England as a thief and an entertainer, who stood out from the crowd because she liked to dress, act, and behave like a man challenging cultural norms was Maul's bread and butter. She wore men's clothing, smoked a pipe, and operated as both a thief and a pimp, being hired to find lovers for men and women among London's middle class. Here today to share with us the colorful real-life history of a woman whose shock value continues to impress those that learn about her is historian and author of Mary Frith, Maul Cut Purse, and the Development of an Early Modern Criminal Celebrity for the Journal of Early Modern Studies, Lauren Lieba. Dr. Lauren Leva graduated with her PhD in English literature from Texas A&M University in August of 2021. After completing a postdoc in digital humanities research, she joined the faculty of Penn State Erie, the Behrend College in the Department of Digital Media Arts and Technology, as an assistant teaching professor of video game studies. In this role, she combines her love of early modern drama and video games to think about the intersection of play and performance in the construction of narrative. She is also associate director of the Advanced Research Consortium and the general editor of Digital Restoration Drama, an anthology forthcoming from linked early modern drama online. Hello, Lauren. Welcome to That Shakespeare Life. Hello. It's good to be here. The reason Maul Cutpurse earned her nickname is because she was a thief that cut the purses off of her victims to steal the contents. Obviously, this was a crime in early modern England, but Lauren, was pickpocketing also a form of entertainment?
2: I don't know if I would say that pickpocketing itself is a kind of entertainment, but there was a lot of entertainment around the concept of the pickpocket and the concept of thieves in early modern London specifically. So there's lots of like popular pamphlets and popular ballads that come out around sort of like the criminal underworld in London. You've got all of the discussions of thieves can't, which is basically its own special language that only these really well organized thieves guilds use. And it gives us a lot of sort of our mythology for like what a modern like fantasy thief becomes later. And a lot of these do have some roots in truth, but a lot of them are also quite uh, heavily embellished as well.
0: Moll's cut purse other nickname was the Roaring Girl. Lauren, what does this nickname mean and why was she called the Roaring Girl? Roaring
2: Girl is actually a counterpoint to a much more, at the time, well-known figure called the Roaring Boy, um, which were these sort of like loud, aggressive young men who were associated with all of the different vices of London. So they were these like sort of roving bands of young men who were going out and drinking and smoking frequenting gambling houses going to theaters sitting on the stage in the dandy seats going to bear beatings and so mall is being portrayed as sort of like that type but as a woman and in the introduction to the play about her the roaring girl there's this description of sort of all of these different kinds of roaring girls that is really fantastic the, the prologue to the Roaring Girl gives us this catalog of different kinds of Roaring Girls to get so like set us up some anticipation about what Mall is going to be. So we've got she that roars at midnight in deep tavern bowls, so going out to taverns and getting drunk. That beats the watch and constables controls, so going out and fighting with law enforcement. <laughs> to she that roars in the daytime, swears, stabs, gives braves yet sells her soul to the lust of fools and slaves. To the city civil roaring girl, whose pride feasting and riding shakes her husband's state and leaves him roaring through an iron gate. (laughs) So you've got sort of like a touching on all of these different kinds of roaring girls. Like they're spending a lot of money, they're drinking and swearing and fighting. And all of this is setting us up for the kind of roaring girl that Maul is going to be. But they do carefully sort of couch that she is, a roaring girl who is flying with wings more lofty. And she's a a slightly different kind of roaring girl who's going to be not just a bane on society, but our hero for the play.
0: I was thinking as you were reading that it's I mean, obviously, the attributes are well outside what you would expect a woman to be described as in this time period. So she's obviously challenging cultural norms there. But I think she's presented as this kind of Robin Hood figure of the, you know, the the criminal that you love to hate. Like, yes, they're outside of what's legal, but we like her anyway.
2: <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah, she is definitely part of that sort of like noble thief legend that we get And in the the Roaring Girl play, she's sort of like helping young lovers come together and helping young men defy their overbearing and terrible fathers. Um, So very much a heroic figure, even if what she's doing is a little bit outside social norms.
0: So what do we know about Mary Firth? This is the woman who became a famous pickpocket, and she that's the real name of Mall Cut Purse. And obviously, this life path isn't common for anyone, much less a woman in Shakespeare's lifetime. So what do we know about how she chose this life?
2: So we don't know a ton about Mary Firth's early life. She shows up in London in a couple of legal documents in the early 1600s. And she shows up kind of on both sides of the law. She's getting accused of theft, but also showing up in cases as a a witness against others. So we don't quite know like, what brought her to London, if she was born there, or if, like many young people at the time, she came to the big city looking for better opportunities. But we do know that sort of quickly after she shows up first in the legal records, she turns to entertainment. We know that she was a performer. She was a fairly accomplished ludist, it seems. But where she really made her mark was by dressing in men's clothing as sort of a, a persona that became Mall Purse.
0: You've mentioned and quoted for us from The Roaring Girl by Decker and Middleton earlier, but there were lots of early modern plays that featured this character. And I wonder if you could share with us um, some good examples of the plays that she features in.
2: Yes. So The Roaring Girl is definitely the most comprehensive play. It's the one where she shows up as, you know, the central figure. She's the hero. Uh, but she does make sort of like little cameo appearances, kind of like you would see like a guest star on TV and then everybody, you know, claps and is excited. Probably her only other like major role is in Nathan Fields' Amends for Ladies, where she shows up actually as kind of not heroic exactly. She shows up as a bod trying to convince... Um, this one woman that she could have an affair with one of the central male characters and still maintain her virtue. Um, And this is something that gets adopted into Maul's mythos, sort of from this point on. It may have had some grounding in the truth of Mary Frith's real life, we don't know quite for sure. But she also shows up in several other plays at the time from the same playwrights that wrote The Roaring Girl, so like The Witch of Edmonton, as this sort of like, almost mythological Queen of Thieves, boogeyman kind of character who's infamous for her thieving and her involvement in bull and bear baiting.
0: I know that Maul Cutpurse took on a life of her own well beyond Mary Frith that lasts, as you're pointing out, beyond her personal existence, but I know the woman who created this persona and lived this life herself was very performative during her life. And I wonder if she was ever on stage to play any of these roles in real life where she was portrayed in a, a fictional play, but would she herself ever show up to fill that role?
2: So we don't know for sure. And it's one of those things that like people love to speculate about there's no absolute historical evidence for it either way. And it's so much fun to imagine her, you know, on stage playing the role of Maul Cutpurse. Probably she didn't. There is some suggestion that near the end of The Roaring Girl, the character Maul does come on stage and plays her. I think it's a viola at that point rather than a lute. But she she comes on stage and, and performs. And there's been some suggestion that that may have actually been Mary Frith herself. There is some evidence that she was on stage at the Fortune Theater in connection with the Roaring Girl, based on some things that show up in court cases later on. But we don't know for sure exactly what that looked like. Uh, but we do know that she did perform in other venues as a musician,
0: so we know that she did in real life perform on stage in some capacity, but it's questionable or at least not provable whether or not she ever performed as an actor for the role of Mal Purse. Did I follow you correctly there? Exactly. Now, one story of Mall Cut Purse that's very fun is when she was challenged by a fellow showman that she would not ride across country dressed as a man. It was basically a dare. And she takes this dare and proceeds to not only ride across country dressed as a man, but she rides on a famous performance horse named Morocco. Now, this story, too, may end up being apocryphal, but I felt like it belonged in the conversation of Mall Cutpurse in terms of understanding who she was and at least the, the legend of her. What, Lauren, can you tell us about this event and whether it was true or not, and what the rest of the story is here.
2: Yeah, so this event comes to us from a a book that's published after her death called "The Life and Death of Mrs. Mary Frith." It's purported to be an autobiography, although whether or not it really was is very much up for debate. Um, it probably wasn't, but it was almost certainly based on, to some extent, things that happened in her life like we do know some of the things in it are factual so this precise event we don't have any other record of other than this autobiography it certainly sounds like the kind of thing that Maul in her more performative days would have done but it also really closely connects her to this sort of broader sphere of popular performers in early modern London with the show horse and with uh the the other performer that she's sort of working against
0: I really want to track down the history of the horse Morocco when I read this story I was like oh now I want to know about the various animals in this time period who were known by name and famous enough that they would be written about years later in context of stories like this one I thought that was fantastic to think that she was involved enough in performative culture that she would have had access to this horse and been able to select that on purpose for her famous you know obviously flamboyant ride Oh,
2: absolutely. Yeah, there's there's quite a few animals from this period that have that sort of like star power.
0: It's like the lassie of the 16th century, only it's a horse, you know. Exactly. And Maul herself was later in life engaged in dog fighting and had a couple of
2: famous dogs whose names are escaping me at the moment, but I think they were like named for political figures
0: of the time. (laughs) Well, of course, as they would be in true Maul Cut Purse fashion, I would think. (laughs) Now, was Maul the only woman who dressed like a man, how unusual was her behavior? Was there a section of society where this cross-dressing was going on and it was acceptable? So for this, I have sort of two points that I want to make.
2: The first is that while Maul probably performed in men's clothing quite frequently, she was never almost never exclusively just wearing men's clothing. In fact, the the one time that she gets um, sort of arrested she, she's wearing like petticoats and she like gathers her petticoats up into these sort of makeshift pants in order to put on a like impromptu performance she gets arrested not so much for the petticoats the performance but because she's drunk and disorderly in public and causing a problem but Maul was by no means the only one who was trending toward more masculine ideas of dress um to the extent that it was becoming a little bit of like this sort of like social problem there's a pamphlet that's written called Hickmilier or The Mannish Woman that's sort of railing against women's more masculine dress. And a lot of times this is more like in the the cut of jackets and less so about wearing like trousers. But there's also on the flip side, this uh, opposite trend in men's fashion that's becoming more ostentatious and more sort of feminine. So you get an answering pamphlet called Hickvier that comes out not long after that's sort of saying, well, you know, we're meeting halfway.
0: Well, I know that we've covered the lives of women in the past on our show. And certainly this kind of behavior where you're going a little too far in challenging cultural norms could often land a woman in a sanitarium or being sent to a convent. These are certainly conversations we see echoed in Shakespeare's plays, you know, with the whole quote, get thee to a nunnery. You know, it these were things that happened to women who didn't fit inside of what society thought was appropriate. And I wonder, Maul Cutpurse and Mary Frith, they fly in the face of these expectations we have of the past. So I wonder. If you could explain for us what was going on in her life that she was allowed to live this flamboyant of a lifestyle with such relative freedom and even, I mean, I'm going to use the word relative acceptance because she wasn't carted off to a confinement anywhere. And I'm just wondering how that was possible, given what we expect the response to be from authorities about women in this time period.
2: Yeah, so I've got a couple of interesting things at play with Mary Frist's life. So first of all, unlike a lot of the heroines in Shakespeare's plays who are sort of in danger of getting carted off to nunneries, she's up as a woman from lower classes and sort of like works her way up to a sort of middle class respectability over the course of her life. But just by virtue of not being part of the upper classes, she's not subject to quite the same kinds of scrutiny. Um, In quite the same sort of societal expectations, she's allowed to be a little bit rougher, allowed to sort of indulge in London's uh, seedier side. But more than that, a lot of the stuff that she was doing wasn't illegal. So her cross-dressing was societally frowned upon. It wasn't something that people, you know, really found like super acceptable outside of her sort of performance roles. But uh, there was nothing illegal about her wearing men's clothing. Uh, most of the times when she gets in trouble, it's because she was stealing or because she was sort of in proximity to crimes happening or she was drunk and disorderly in public or causing a scene. So when she was committing sort of actual crimes. But even then, after like the couple of early crimes when she's young, when she first shows up in our historical record, um, after that, she mostly seems to have shifted towards fairly legitimate business, even if that legitimate business is kind of on the, the edges of polite society. So she's first performing as a musician um, and as the persona of mall cross-dressing. Later she becomes kind of a broker, so mediator between thieves and their victims to make sure that the stolen goods get returned rather than taken by the crown, um, which would have been what would normally happen in a legal proceeding. And yeah, so the, the, a lot of the things about her sort of performance persona only come up in legal proceeding when there's something else happening.
0: So it's almost like she's her own marketing department, like she's functioning as her business's mascot. She wants you to remember her and know where to find her when you need the services she's offering. So this entire character is about being memorable and noticed and standing out in a crowd that might not otherwise pay attention to a lower to you know, middle class woman that was trying to sell her wares. Exactly. And she ends up actually becoming quite successful. So by the end of her life, she's
2: become, you know, a fairly successful businesswoman in her own right. Definitely moved up through the classes.
0: (laughs) Well, what ultimately did happen to her? I mean, did she get married? Did she have children? And what, how did she die in the end? And tell us about where she's buried.
2: So we know that she did eventually get married to a man named Lukner Markham. We don't know much about him at all from the, the one legal proceeding that he comes up in. It seems like they were probably estranged fairly early on in their marriage to the extent that she mostly operated under the name Mary Frith. And it's only in her one court proceeding, but then also in her will that she uses her married name. She lives quite a long life. She dies in her 60s or 70s. We're not really sure when she was born, so it's hard to, to track. But she dies quite wealthy for a woman of her time, given where she started. She's able to leave some pretty substantial bequests to primarily female relatives. Um, she's buried in St. Bridget's in Fleet Street, which was usually a place for sort of more affluent, sort of upper middle class people. She probably died of dropsy or similar old age um, related illnesses. And then because we always have to keep coming back to the apocryphal with Maul, uh, there's a really fun supposed epitaph that John Milton wrote for her that was supposedly on her gravestone and then destroyed, of course, in the Great Fire of London. Again, probably not true, but it's still a fun story.
0: And it's nice, I think, to know that her legend lives on in this way with stories that surpass her life and have just enough t- twinge of truth to them that we have to question. Could she have done that? Would that have happened? I think that's a wonderful way uh, for her life to be encapsulated. What a wonderful story. Oh, absolutely.
2: Yeah. She she persists in sort of these tales of like vaguely irrespectable but heroic women throughout You know, after her life with the the autobiography where she's this like royalist highwayman hero, uh, welcoming Charles back to the city and then sort of turns to like progressively more and more of a highway figure throughout the 18th century. And there's even a a sort of recent, well, not recent, I guess it's from the, the 90s, novelization of her life that kind of imagines what she might have been like that is a lot of fun.
0: Well, speaking of places to learn more about Mall Cut Purse and explore Mary Frith's life, where are your best suggestions, I guess, for where we should start if we want to learn more about her? Can you give us some reliable recommendations on where we should begin?
2: Ah, so if we're we're thinking about Mall's legend, I would definitely recommend reading The Roaring Girl and... If you can find it, reading a copy of The Life and Death of Mrs. Mary Frith. Uh, It's a little bit hard to get a hold of outside of university libraries, but if you have access to Evo, it has been put up there. If you're interested in Mary Frith's life itself, Gustav Ungerer's 2000, Mary Frith alias Mall Cut Purse in Life and Literature, has a lot of information, sort of like the historical documents that we know of about Mary Frith. Um, both the like actual history and then some of the like sort of more spurious things like the the Milton epigraph. But if you're interested in learning more about sort of like crime and criminality in early modern London, I recommend Garthine Walker's Crime, Gender, and Social Order in Early Modern England, Craig Dionne and Steve Mintz's collection Rogues and Early Modern English Culture, and then more recently, uh, Lena Leopi's Roguery in Print, Crime and Culture in Early Modern London.
0: These are excellent suggestions. We will track down direct links to all of these resources and place them in the show notes for today's episode. So you can go there to find exactly what you're looking for when you'd like to learn more about Moll Cutpurse and her real life. I want to almost want to say mother, like she birthed her. But anyway, also of Mary Frith, you can find all of these links in the show notes for today's episode. So stay tuned for the link for where to find those. Now, Lauren, we ask everyone this next question here at That Shakespeare Life, and that's, what's the one book you would take with you on a deserted island? My friends in England tell me I'm supposed to allow you the complete works of Shakespeare and a copy of the Bible. So your choice would be in addition to those.
2: I think I'm going to cheat just a little bit and say the complete works of Thomas Middleton.
0: So that way I get um, to take a Roaring
2: Girl with me. And it's also a very, very chunky book.
0: (laughs) I think that's that's an excellent suggestion. You would come back from your desert island well-prepared to continue on with your research. So what's next for you? What are you working on now that you're excited about? Well, I
2: have just started a new faculty position at Penn State Erie's Barron College.
0: Congratulations.
2: Uh, Settling into faculty life after my postdoc. Other than that, I am the associate director for the Advanced Research Consortium, and we're sort of in a major overhaul phase for that project. I'm working on my own digital humanities project, the Digital Restoration Drama, which is a set of sort of lightly edited plays from the restoration that are otherwise a little bit hard to get a hold of that are available for free online. And then I'm sort of shifting from working exclusively on early modern England into my new faculty role, which is actually as a professor of game studies. Um, So thinking about narrative in drama and how that maps onto sort of performance in play uh, in modern video games. Um, And then also what the intersections of like Shakespeare and modern video games are.
0: You have a fascinating specialty, I have to say. You're the only person I've ever met who blended these two disciplines. And I think it's a fascinating way and gives so much hope to my children (laughs) who love video games and the idea that they can go and make something professional from uh, their interests. I think it's a really cool research subject. I'm excited to have had you here to visit with us on the show. If you'd like to learn more about Lauren and her work, please visit the show notes because we'll have links to all of her forthcoming projects so you can keep up with her. Lauren, thank you so much for being here this week and taking us through the history of Mall Cut Purse and introducing us to the real Mary Frith and letting us know more about this fascinating woman's life from the life of William Shakespeare. This was really a fun conversation. Thank you for being here. Thank you
2: for having me. This was lovely.
0: If you would like to see visuals of Mary Frith, Maul Cutpurse, and some of the delightful history that we learn about in today's episode, please be sure to check out the show notes, along with direct links to the resources Lauren recommends for you so that you can go directly to the various books and resources she says are great places to learn more about Maul Cutpurse. There's also extra history about our topic today, along with visual elements that we can't share with you on the audio. So it's a great place to explore even further into this topic. Find all of these extra tidbits packed into the show notes at CassidyCash.com slash episode 303. That's CassidyCash.com slash EP303. If you'd like to go beyond the episode and really dive into the life of William Shakespeare, then you will love joining us on Patreon for our Insider History Club. Patrons of That Shakespeare Life get to see behind-the-scenes content from the making of our show and listen to over 150 additional episodes not available on public listening platforms. On Patreon, we also have video versions of the podcast, printable educator resources that coordinate with our show and Shakespeare's plays, along with a collection of digital history activity kits that let you try out games, recipes, and crafts, straight from the life of William Shakespeare that you can do at home or in your classroom. Find all of these extras and join us inside Turn of the 17th Century England right now on patreon.com slash that Shakespeare life. That's patreon.com slash that Shakespeare life. That Shakespeare life is researched and produced by me, Cassidy Cash. Our audio engineer is Gary Mayholm. That's it for this week. Thank you for listening. I'm Cassidy Cash, and I hope you learn something new about the Bard. I'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to That Shakespeare Life.
1: As always, the best conversations happen after the episode over at CassidyCash.com. Become a part of a vibrant Shakespeare conversation by adding your voice over at the website. Until next time, remember, when you want to know William Shakespeare, you have to go behind the curtain and into That Shakespeare Life.